Welcome to the Broken Metatarsal, where we celebrate everything that Naughty's football had to offer. My name is Rich Williams. Joining me today, Planet Football Editor, Mark Holmes. Wooden Tag. Thank you very much. Appropriate for 2006. We'll come on to that later. Uh, Planet Football Deputy Editor, Rob Conlon. Hello there. And our special guest is a Crystal Palace supporting comedian who said in a recent stand-up performance that she always panics in high-pressured situations. Just wait until we start Football Fact or Football <laughs> Fiction later on the podcast. It's a very warm welcome uh, to Chloe Petz. Hello. Hi, thank you. And it's good to hear that you've uh, done some thorough research about me. That's lovely. I did one bit of research. You did which one is... bit of research and <laughs> picked the first thing that I said. I, I, um, I went to your Twitter, but I couldn't find anything out of that that would work for an intro. So I just let, I parked that there. And then I went on to some, uh, I watched some of your stand-up, which was great. And I did that uh, one bit, which I think was to do with dealing with bullies. Is it yeah. to do with that? And you mentioned that you are um, you struggle in high pressure situations, but I'm sure we'll be fine. What I was looking for was just you to compliment my stand up, which you did, so <laughs> that's what I did. I um, realised after the first bit that that's what you were angling for, yeah, and I, I managed you. to do it. So I this... need to watch that bit on dealing with bullies. I need to watch that behind the scenes. Rich is quite the problematic character, and he's <laughs> causing me. Uh, all sorts of issues. So that is, let's give that a watch. Well, you're that you're is, sat next to me, so I'll protect you today. Thank you very much. This is quite the accusation. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to stay in the corner if that's all right. Yeah, don't say, don't say anything at this stage. See what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by our friends at Football Index, the football stock market where you can buy and sell players for real money. Sign up today at footballindex.co.uk and use the code TBMINDEX to trade with a £500 money back guarantee new customers only 18 plus now before we answer today's theme uh, which is obviously talking about england and the golden generation we'll get there in a moment i do have to mention one thing but now i feel bad mentioning this off the back of you suggesting that i'm some sort of behind the scenes bully <laughs> mark and this what is now? what now this Rich? is i did want to mention mark's foot which is is currently injured it is suspected broken metatarsal thankfully not but that was the fear. Oh, have you had it checked out now? Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> I'm just judging it off pain. What did you do? To, what did you actually do to it? Someone stamped on it after about two minutes, uh, which hurt significantly. Woke up on Sunday morning. It was just full of fluid and oh. it's bruised over. Did you play on? Of course I played on. Oh, yeah. nice. Warrior. Yeah. Oh, it was during football then. It wasn't just a sort of... Uh... That was my wife. <laughs> <laughs> two minutes of waking up, have that. <laughs> Straight <laughs> off the book. Now we were we were lucky enough and delighted to receive a picture uh, of said foot and injury. Chloe, glad you didn't see this picture. I opened it at a time when I was eating, which was uh, regretful at, at the best of times. It was pretty swollen though, mate. It's got worse since then. You should see the bruising now. I won't get it out. Whip it out! Come on, <laughs> whip let's it. Have a look. Get your foot That's out. That's what we all want to see. Rich, can you stop bullying me? Just sorry. <laughs> Let me keep my feet on the table. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, let's go on with today's episode because each episode we dig into one element of the noughties from the sublime to the ridiculous. Today we remember the cream of Sven's crop, a national team that was destined for the top. When Owen was master, the Germans were thrashed before Korea and Japan where our dreams were dashed. Still, we ooze positivity. We became believers for a team of players that would end up as underachievers. The cusp of glory for the whole of our nation. Today we remember England's golden generation. Yes! Yes for England! David Beckham has done it! 
chases. And Rooney, who still goes. It's Wayne Rooney. He's got a man up with him. Oh, he's brought down by Silvestra, who might well go off here. Portugal are World Cup semi-finalists. And England, as usual, lose on a penalty shootout. Also today, we will have football facts or football fiction. And uh, speaking of that golden generation, a player that was capped a couple of times during it, not a mainstay part of that generation, but Paul Koncheski, uh, who we spoke to, who gives us an inside information on Sven and the players that were around at that time. Did you know, Chloe, that Paul Koncheski now runs a cafe? I did not know that. If you were Paul Koncheski, what would you call your cafe? Uh, Koncheski's calf. <laughs> Conch's calf. But cafe spelt with a K. That's lovely. And it's but conch. Conch. That's Conch's got, cafe, yeah. It's got a bit of a Lord of the Flies sort of uh, <laughs> reference to it there. I'm sure he was going for that literary, literary reference if, if uh, I know Paul. <laughs> that was definitely what he was going for. So we'll have a chat with him later as well. And uh, Rob and I spoke to him. And it, it, really interesting to get an insight. Some of the stuff that was going on in that England camp, especially at mealtimes, but I don't want to give too much away just now. He's the most East London man I've ever, ever spoken to. <laughs> If you were to just listen to his voice now and not picture him, you would picture a white van man, I think, but in the nicest possible what way. What a lovely stereotype. <laughs> Sorry to all East London listeners. Mark's upset me. You've upset everyone in East London. London I'm, I'm yet to be upset, but it's coming. I can feel it coming. It's on the way. Uh, we should move on for that. We should get into the podcast because that's the point of this. Mark, let's, let's give a bit of background to this. You know, we all know about the golden generation. We know which players spring to mind as soon as we say that. But let's just go back to a time where uh, Sven arrived as England manager to quite a bit of criticism is it fair to say as the first foreign English manager not foreign English manager foreign manager of England England. yeah um, yeah there was I I don't know how much of that was real you know dislike for what was going on or was it just media spun because I certainly didn't have a problem with it I thought it was fantastic that a world-class manager was going to take over this team and uh, and hopefully transform us and it's interesting actually looking back when we talk about the golden generation, you know, when is that period from and, and, and until? Um, but, you know, just before Sven, obviously, Kevin Keegan quit, and then we had Howard Wilkinson in charge of a game. Phil, Phil, um, Phil Taylor? Yeah. Why doesn't that sound right? Before he oh. went into darts. Yes, yeah, darts player. <laughs> or is it Peter Taylor? Peter Taylor, Peter yeah. Taylor is a darts player, yeah. <laughs> this, it wasn't, I am from yeah. Soak on Chant, everybody. Please excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look back at some of the players of that period, just pre-Sven, it's a completely different era. It feels like a bygone, you know, Keown, even, who was involved in the early Sven days, feels like a, a bygone era. Dennis Wise in midfield, uh, <laughs> Ray Parler, good players, but it just doesn't feel, you know, golden generation, they weren't. So, um, so yeah, personally, I, I was hugely excited. Bronze generation. The bronze generation, yeah. <laughs> and Chloe, from your point of view, you know, the announcement of Sven and going back to that time, uh, what, what were your thoughts around then? It wasn't anything new and surprising for me because it, it was kind of uh, my first gateway into international football. I hadn't sort of previously been into it, so I didn't know that that was a precedent. I, I think I think because it was so widely reported in the media, that was what drew me into to international football. So it was very, very exciting. And I think um, I'm sure we'll talk about some of Sven's personal <laughs> Uh, history at length in this pod um and and i think that that also <laughs> captured my imagination as an eight-year-old just sort of like what is what what are these words what what's a romp <laughs> i thought rich was going to touch on it in his, his fa- in his fabulous 
intro to Thank the show, you, you said something like the cream of Sven, and I thought, when? Oh, it's like a Gwyneth Paltrow thing, the cream of Sven. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't anything to do with that, I can absolutely assure, assure you. But, Double meanings. But Sven-Goran Eriksson uh, was kind of like a, a category A sort of name, and, and did bring a huge profile and, and interest to England at that time. He's probably forgotten, we were chatting about this in the in the office earlier, but he was a really, really good manager, and it kind of gets forgotten amid what Mark has alluded to there. <laughs> Uh, and he's become sort of this comedy character, but he was, he was like a world-class manager and really successful and it was a bit of a coup for England to get him. When you look through the team, you actually look at that early team, it's great players. They weren't called the golden generation for no reason, were they? It's interesting, again, looking at his early games up until the Germany game, really. Like Germany game, you know, you had Gary Neville, Cole, Ferdinand Campbell. It's starting to feel like the basis of a team. But in his early days, you know, Chris Powell, he was throwing out caps left, you know, willy-nilly, really. McCann played in the first mm-hmm. game against Spain and, and Thompson played, you know. So it was interesting, that initial transition period to bit slowly building up. And then you know, Ashley Cole, I think, played in Sven's thir- uh, third game. Uh, Gerard started in his fourth. Joe Cole came on. Then Hargreaves was capped. So it's interesting seeing the, the building of that golden generation, but it wasn't there from the day he took over, not, not at all. Michael Ricketts didn't make the cut, did he? Like, <laughs> no. he, was, he was left out of that generation. Yeah, you mentioned um, uh, Germany 1, England 5. So uh, oh. it, it seems at least appropriate to spend a, a good amount of time reliving one of the greatest modern memories for England fans. First game I ever watched by myself in a pub, so absolutely <laughs> phenomenal memories. How, how old were you? I would have been 16. It was a market tavern in Hanley, followed by a trip to the place, which was just the worst club, but you could. it had a bar attached to the club that if you went to the bar early enough, the bouncers hadn't started. You're in the bar, you're in the club. It's you're happy in. days. <laughs> <laughs> so that was mine. That was just you phenomenal. You the club on your own? No, no, I was with friends, but when I said, you know, unsu- oh, oh, unsupervised. I, I, I did think, you, I was, I'm going to the pub by myself, Mum. And I've, I've been, yeah, I've been, I've been a solo drinker for, for 20 years now. <laughs> <laughs> who's that little, little wiry kid in the corner who's, who's downing stout? Watching Do you know what, though? To, to any 16-year-olds who, who are thinking about getting into the drinking game, I think that would be a great tactic. Go by yourself. The confidence to turn up to the pub by yourself at 16, he must be 18. With a newspaper. With a newspaper, (laughs) yeah, and and bring your own snacks. He's definitely old enough. Like a large trench coat. You're you're on top of your other 16-year-old friends. Drink responsibly under 16s. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Or or not, up to you. England... I can't believe that you've taken one of one of England's greatest moments, Germany won England five, and turned this into an underage drinking situation. England it comes hand in hand, to be fair. England beating Germany on their own turf, five goals to one. What a game, and, and what a night for England fans! It was also the inspiration, I suppose, behind one of the, maybe the last great England World Cup songs with the uh, Anne and Tech, uh, "You Are on the Ball," which I think was the main takeaway from this. Uh, but yeah, it's incredible. I mean, if, if you were to imagine England winning five-one in Germany now, it'd be carnage. Like we we would just assume we were certain certainties to win the World Cup, which I suppose everyone did expect then in two thousand and two. My main takeaway from this game was. Um, Emil Heskey's celebration after he made it 5-1. If you watch it back, he does his... Uh, he, he doesn't do the DJ, or maybe he does it briefly, but then he, he pots an imaginary golf ball towards the corner flag. And if you watch it back, David Beckham actually looks to see whether <laughs> the imaginary golf ball goes in or not, which I really, really like. Did it? I think it must have. I mean, it's Heskey, yeah, he was on fire, wasn't he, at that point? Yeah. 
it started well under Sven, and we'd won a few games going into that, but I don't think anyone in the wildest dreams thought that we were of that level yet. But then, as I say, it was just almost this, this marriage suddenly of landing on this golden generation. You know, Owen and Heskey were up front. Previously, Andy Cole had been playing nothing against Andy Cole, but Owen and Heskey is the golden generation strike force. So he just he just landed upon it at the absolutely perfect time to go and beat the old enemy. And of course, it all leads towards uh, World Cup in, in 2002, which nearly didn't happen, but just did in the nick of time with David Beckham. Yeah, this is so great to reminisce on because this was like a formative time in me falling in love with the game. And I remember watching that free kick go in in the living room with my dad and my dad has no capacity for tension whatsoever. So he was <laughs> like, he basically did what any middle-aged man did and just sort of repressed and pretended that nothing was happening. <laughs> so he was just sort of sit, sat there with clenched fists and his eyes closed. And when it went in, it was just... Oh, what a moment. There was limbs everywhere in the Pets household. We were all over <laughs> each other. It was, uh, and what a fantastic free kick yeah. in those uh, in those high-pressure circumstances. It could not have been more inch perfect. Did you think, when you look back, do you think when, when he steps up, you kind of think he's going to do it? I, I think he's, he's going to do I it. I think it now, when, because I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, not when you watch the highlights now. <laughs> do you think he'll score this one? Yeah. You notice Sheringham as a word, and I think he's thinking... Can I ever go now, Bex? Because he'd taken a lot of free kicks in that game. The second half, I'll never forget that second half as long as I live because it was just a one-man ball of determination to to pull that around for England. He was just he was playing on the right wing, but he was in the middle. He was just basically doing what he wanted when he wanted, flying in tackles, winning it, pinging balls, taking every free kick, every cut. It was absolutely amazing because it because it came off. If it hadn't have done, it might have been a different story, you know, because he, he literally was just taking it upon himself. But what a man and what performance. That, that was like the renaissance of Beckham as well, wasn't it? Because yeah. after, after 98, when he got sent off against Argentina, he was like public enemy number one. People like burning effigies of him in the street. And you look back and, and it's like golden balls mania and people think of him as a celebrity. But it was a that free kick is outrageously good. The way, like the amount of swerve and bend on it. And like you say about just how hard he worked, people forget about that. Like he was a grafter and he just yeah. dragged England over the line in that game. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. You kind of touch on it there, you know, the slim or the thin lines that can change the course of history. Mm-hmm. That doesn't go in. It's That's it. I mean, Sven must look back at that moment and think, thank you. Because <laughs> uh, it, it's such a thin line, isn't it? And But the thing is, is that this happened 18, year, 18 years ago and we're sat around still grinning about it. And it's because it is the impossibility of it. As you say, when, when something like that happens in football, you just can't believe how lucky you are to be on the team that gets to experience that. And I think that that's what the incredible beauty of it is. And, and that's what we, we all fall, fell in love with. It's Roy of the Rovers, isn't it? It's like yeah. cartoonish almost. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. meant to happen. Like Gerard had it at Liverpool for a little while where he, he would just come yeah. up with these moments and you think, how, what? That's not how football's meant to work. And Beckham had that as well. Yeah, and I don't think we'd speak about it quite so fondly. It would have been amazing no matter what if Sheringham had put it in. But because it was Beckham, because it was that performance, because of the arc of what had happened mm. for years years ago because of just everything and it was David Beckham and I just could speak about Beckham all day I love him absolutely love the man go for it (laughs) 40 minutes on David Beckham no one's in a rush here here now is your uh, Mark Holmes David Beckham monologue (laughs) for the next half hour and his celebration at the end as well is great it goes over towards the corner and everyone's going mad arms stretched out and the front page then is is done with the St George's do you think they, they do that they know that don't they they're not, daft. They're not daft. They know, what the, they know what the picture's going to be, right? 
But he did it perfectly, which kind of leads us, I guess, to, to World Cup 2002. Beckham Renaissance kind of crystallises in that because it's the Argentina game, yeah, um, which is the complete payback for 98 when he scores the penalty. And, and I think Owen dives for the penalty as well, which kind of makes it all the sweeter that he sort of plays them at their own game almost. But the story of that, which I really like, which I think Darren Anderton mentioned, after the 98 game, when the England players were leaving the ground, the Argentina players were in their coach and banging on the windows and celebrating and really rubbing it in. So once England won in 02, as the Argentina players were going back to their bus, the England players were giving it the same shit back, which is really nice to imagine. Uh, maybe they should have waited till they'd actually done something in the tournament <laughs> of significance before Argentina doing that. Argentina didn't win in 98, so... Well, also, also true. Football has these weird kind of quirks of throwing things up, as it would do a couple of times for Sven. You know, the first game's against Sweden, isn't it? It was also the tournament, of course, which basically inspired this podcast, the Rokomata hmm. Tarsal, because Beckham had done it against Deportivo in the Champions League for United in April. Gary Neville then broke his metatarsal in the very next Champions League game. Danny Murphy did it in World Cup training after being called up to replace Gerard. So three players who, who broke the metatarsals. And now we can of... add you to the list. Well, yours is a half, <laughs> half break. Yeah. Well, I, I was looking up just to see what was said at the time because we've said this in, in previous podcasts, Chloe, that no one knew what a metatarsal no, was. absolutely not prior to this and it's brilliant I read the Guardian report and it said when Neville broke the same obscure bone in his foot <laughs> it's not obscure I mean it's, it's one of the big five it's just you didn't know about it and then Sir Alex Ferguson unfortunately he's got a broken metatarsal believe it or not it's unbelievable absolutely incredible just like the idea that foot injuries didn't exist prior to, to Beckham and Neville is great but I love I, that I feel like if it happened today there would be some sort of like sports science inquest the way that if like a team's getting loads of muscle injuries yeah. they're like well there's some something's going wrong in the sports scientists um, but yeah it's just ludicrous the, the coincidence that everyone did it it's the bloody boots that'd be Raymond Vahian but you know they play football, it's probably <laughs> yeah, it's quite, quite, quite a high chance, isn't it? Gonna, <laughs> That's surprising. they the feet. With all those metatarsal injuries, it just led to a really weird squad when you look mm. back. So you had like Trevor Sinclair on the left wing. Yeah. Danny Mills. Danny Mills at right back, Nicky Butts in midfield. I think, was it was it Pele who, who said like, Nicky Butts the best midfielder at this World Cup or something, something mad like that? Where it's like, what Pele is that? says a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't really take everything he says <laughs> <laughs> uh, seriously. But yeah, Except yeah. about erectile dysfunction. <laughs> he's, he's spot on on that. Uh, I think we'll be getting that back to that later, won't you, with Sven, I think, Matt, but I'll leave it to <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just all a bit uh, meh, I guess. But then there's the the, uh, the, the second round, the, the knockout round, they played Denmark and it's 3-0 no, and, and you think, oh wait, here we go. That's the bit that kills you, isn't it? Yeah, it's the, the bit that, oh wait, all right, okay, we're through the groups. So that's good. That's three, three, we've got a bit of momentum going we're here. We're building. That's the bit that then sets you up for the magnificent England yeah. fall and failure, which we'd kind of come to expect and, well, not expect at that point, but then come to expect over the next few years. Because, of course, Brazil, we, we took the lead in that game, right? We took the lead and we were brilliant in the first half. Owen, fantastic goal when he's just capitalised on the poor touch through, took it as Owen just took every chance back in those days. And I thought, this is it, we're going to do it. And then as soon as Valdo scored, just before half-time, you thought, no, they're not going to do it. This is this is England, isn't it? <laughs> and then, obviously, Ronaldinho scores that. You know, did he mean it? Of course he meant it, because it's Ronaldinho. Uh, but then people forget, he was sent off five minutes later. We yeah. had, like, most of the second half against 10 men, and they just didn't, they didn't lay a glove on Brazil. It was awful. It was just, like you said, the classic England capitulation, having been so promising an hour earlier and now I'm starting to cry <laughs> oh mate come on. Yeah, you're going to be okay it's, it, when you look at the highlights of that and the, the commentary starts off with basically pitting it that the winner of this could well go on to win the World Cup and, and uh, um, 
it wasn't England. <laughs> <laughs> there's, the, there's the quote that came out after that game as well, and it's never really been known who said it, but they equalised just before half-time. And the England players went into the dressing rooms and were expecting this rip-roaring speech, this motivational speech from Sven. And the quote came out afterwards, and it's never been attributed to a player, although it's suspected it's from Gareth Southgate, which is quite funny knowing what we know about him now. But it says, we need a Churchill, but we've got Ian Duncan Smith, <laughs> which is quite uh, cutting. But then you think, you think of Southgate now, and it's like, really? I mean, you, you're probably more Duncan Smith than Churchill. But you can imagine him saying that as well, though, yeah. when you, <laughs> more so than some of the other players in the, in, in the squad, perhaps. But, but I do think the commentary beforehand is simple symptomatic of what goes on at what went on in the golden generation with England at World Cups and it's essentially that they're not playing the game in front of them they're playing the occasion because if you're essentially going right if we win this quarterfinal we've won the World Cup yeah it's not it's putting high expectations upon a team that just need to win the game that they're playing. As we've established three games earlier, they were banging on the windows because they've been Argentina. <laughs> I think they did it even earlier than that, yeah. Talking about glass and commentary, actually, I was watching back the Argentina highlights. The John Motson commentary for the penalty is absolutely sensation. <laughs> sensational. He says, hold the cups and glasses back home. He scores it. You can smash him now. <laughs> John, just calm down, John. Just <laughs> stop encouraging violence. That's a, that's a pre-written one, I think, yeah. as well, isn't it? Definitely. It's, it's kind of one of these weird ones where, like, this podcast is celebratory. Like, we look back, you know, Golden Generation. It is quite difficult to do that based on the fact we know we're going to cover three tournaments here that all end in dismay. And, like, literally every single one of them ended in me crying in my living room <laughs> or my mum telling me... Like I needed to go and calm down in the shower and sort of not knowing what's my tears in the water from the shower. So for me, this is not celebratory at all. It was actually quite painful having to do uh, research to remind myself of what went on. Let's let's lift the mood, right? And we can each mention, you know, a player from that golden generation that gave you joy during the golden generation. We've already mentioned David Beckham as well. Uh, who would you pick out if you had to pick out one player from that golden generation? That, that puts a smile on your face. It puts a smile on my face. Darius Vassell. <laughs> <laughs> what was he doing in that squad? Just this sort of strange... I, I think it's that thing that sometimes you get these days where some teams will just be like, get us a target man, any target man. And it, it could literally be like, you know... Christian Benteke and, and it fits speaking it, from personal experience speaking yeah. from very harrowing personal experience but if it feels like maybe Vassell was just like oh we need another little little man yeah. if Michael Owen gets injured like he'll do <laughs> was it Vassell that scored like an overhead kick on his debut I do remember him scoring an overhead kick for yeah. England yeah. it's him and Ricketts he, he made his debut in the same game as Ricketts Rickets. and it, ca <laughs> it can't be Ricketts who scores the overhead kick so funnily I tend to remember more than missed penalty but we'll come on to that <laughs> we'll, we'll come on to that surely as well Robbie's a player that stands out for you like Chloe not one of the, the main biggest names I guess but Joe Cole for me I just loved him uh, and I know he's Chelsea and I'm him to him, hate him but um, you said I, that I, about most well, players yeah, true. of most teams but, uh, so don't worry about that obviously there was like this this uh, pro this like left wing problem and I know he maybe wasn't the natural to fit in but he, he did the best by far some people say he never really did it for England but I always think of him as you know Lampard and Gerrard were the disappointing ones whereas Cole just gave it his all and I thought he came up with the moments of magic more often than not as well and that was my second choice we back <laughs> when we've done Joe Cole I don't like any of the others anyone you want to throw in them or you can uh, have, a think, have a think about one. back okay. in those days I used to love especially for the celebrations like you say but the perception of Heskey that we have now looking back as a striker that didn't score goals that didn't exist then he did score goals mm. and, and he was the all-round package so I used to love Heskey we will come on to Euro 
2004 in Portugal. We mentioned Vassell as a little teaser there. But before we do that, uh, let's find out a little bit what what life was like in the camp with a player who earned two caps under Sven Goran Eriksson, uh, who Rob and I caught up with uh, and was really interesting to chat. So here's what happened when we spoke to Paul Koncheski. Thank you so much for joining us on the Broken Metastar. So it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be on. You made a really big mistake. As you do when you're about to speak to, to anyone, you, you do your research beforehand and you know, you're looking at various bits. And I did come across your cafe, Conscious Cafe, that you've got as well. <laughs> and one of the first things that came up, because we're recording this around breakfast time, was a picture of one of the breakfasts you do there. And now I'm just... Okay. <laughs> all I can think about is not really this interview, but how hungry I am and how much I want to like get one of those down me, mate. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's normally the pie mash people talk about, but <laughs> the... the uh, the old fry-up is a nice thing to start start the week with anyway. I guess when you look back from a career point of view and you look at some of those highlights, um, England for you, and that, that must have been a real highlight, being called up for England and being part of that, well, incredible squad at the time and, and around all those players under Sven. Yeah, obviously. Growing up as a, a young boy, as a footballer, if you like, it's probably everyone's dream to play for their country. I was lucky enough to do it at most levels, but not at senior level until that, that call come and... It was a massive dream come true, really. And like you say, the, the players in the squad at the time were, were unbelievable, and they had a big aura about them. So it was it was a big, bit nervy, but it was a, a massive thing for me as well. What what's that kind of first training session like? You know, like at club level, uh, players talk about new signings getting judged straight away. Do you feel sort of under that pressure as, as a new cap coming into that team? Yeah, a little bit. Um, and, I was quite young as well when you got people like obviously Beckham and Skulls and Ferdinand and Terry. Never heard of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> established England internationals, you know. They've, they've played hundreds of caps between them and um, for someone, I think me and Scotty Parker as well went together. So I, I knew, and I, you know of players, but to train with them sort of players every day is still a, is, is a massive thing for obviously someone like myself to go and go and test myself against the best, really. That, that first call-up you got for the Australia game, you were one of a number of uh, new players called into the squad for that game. One of them was a, a certain guy called Wayne Rooney. I, I don't know what he went on to achieve. <laughs> but, but what was he like coming into that England system? At, you know, he was such a young, a young player at the time. He was 17. You could see that he was going to go on and be one of the best. How you see him on a match day, like, aggressively on a weekend, that's how he first turned up for his first England training session with obviously with, with the big players and that takes some yeah. you know some guts to go and do that doesn't it as a as a kid at that yeah age. I think it does yeah it really does but I think he's he's that type of character that can do it and he's shown why he can do it and what he's gone on to achieve is probably a lot down to how how he sets his stuff uh, stall out when he goes in. It is, there's no holding back with him, isn't there? You know, from any, whether it's a training session or a match, kind of gives you the sense that if you were playing a lads and dads game in the garden with a sort of like <laughs> under tens, it's still it's still going with the tackles there, wouldn't he? There'd be no holding back. He wants to win the game, right? Yeah, that's right. He's got that mentality that all, all, all he wants to do is win. You can't take it out of him, and it, I think that, that's a good thing to have because a lot of people would say there's not enough of that nowadays. And he still, you watch him now at Derby. He wants to win football matches, and he's still playing at 35, 36 like he was at 17. So uh, fair play to him and I think that's why he's gone on and done what he's done. You, you sort of reeled off like a, a list of a fair few of the players that were in, in that squad, you know, the, that golden generation at the time. Was there a sense at the time when you looked around thinking, bloody hell, we've got, we got a few players here. We're, we, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty decent. Yeah, I and mean, you I probably can say 
you got when you go there, you probably look at yourself and think, should I really be here with these sort sort of players? But you're there, and you you have to make the most of it, and you're there on merit because the manager's picked you, and he's picked you for a reason. So that they had a big aura about them, and I did sometimes think to myself, should I should I have been there? But it was obviously a proud thing for me, and and, and I loved every minute of it. It's interesting you say that, Paul. We we spoke to Jermaine Genus for the website, and he he was um, telling us how he, he found the step up to England training like a, a real big step up. But he, he he thought it brought the best out of him. The problem he found was that he'd then go back to Newcastle at the time, and he had to drop that level below. Whereas the guys at Man United or, or whatever stayed at that high standard. Was that something you found particularly challenging? Yeah, really. Like the training was, you could you can imagine the tempo and the players there, what they what they want out of training session. It was always a. 150 miles an hour and the standard was unbelievable. You have to get up to that mark because you don't want to look the bad one in training. I can see how Jermaine says it brings the best out of you because you have to get up to their standard straight away or they probably wouldn't welcome you back. So (laughs) um, to to, to train with them every day, it brings the best out of you. And like you say, you you go, I was at Charlton at the time, to disrespect to them is like people going back to Man Island, back to Charlton, it's... It's, ma- it's, it's massive so training with them type of players and then going back the, the standards drop and you get back into that routine rather than staying right at the top routine and, and when you come in from those clubs into the camp is it almost like been uh, you joining a new school I think it was like you, <laughs> you you and Scott Parker from Charlton do you kind of have to like sit with each other and and do you kind of like hang on to each other just, or is it a bit clicky when you get in there? Did, uh, did Ashley Cole take your uh, lunch money you when you got there? That's what he's asking you. <laughs> to be fair, Ashley was injured, I think, to be fair. So that's why I've probably got the call now because he's only bridging left. But um, yeah, you're right. Me and, me and Scotty roomed with each other at Charlton when we were 16. So we was both we was both kids and grew up together. So it helped us probably going together, but maybe didn't help us because, like you say, we stuck together and everything we'd done was like, making sure we we were together and we didn't probably express ourselves as much as we could have. Be fair to Scott, he got in a lot more England camps than I did, so he, he obviously went on and done what he'd done. So, but at the time, you, you you probably stick to what you know and like you say, you, you get clicky with a certain people and you, you try and stay with them people just so you feel feel welcomed. Well, one of the, it's interesting you mentioned uh, the word sort of clicky and cliques because one of the things that was... I guess always spoken about with uh, you know England squads around that time is that there was this sense of cliques going on. Obviously, your situation though is slightly different because you know you're new, so you're going to stick with the, the new guys. That's a natural thing to do. But did you get a feeling around that time that, and it's been spoken about that there were cliques from different clubs, and that was affecting things? Yeah, well, it was more at dinner time where you know you sit on a big table and you you probably have Man U boys at one end and Liverpool down the other and the rest just mingle in, really. In and around the building, that, that, that's how it was. And it, it has obviously moved on, but at that time, it, it was a little bit clicky, yeah. I think you should get the whole squad down to Conscious Cafe, mate, and uh, mix them all up a little bit. <laughs> Definitely. A bit of pie I'll mash, them up you know. a bit anyway. Yeah, exactly. get them fed up. <laughs> what, what was Sven like? He gave you both your caps, and also you, you then went to join him at Leicester as well. Uh, how did you find him as a manager? The man management stuff with Sven was really, really good. Um, he had a lot of time for every individual on and off the pitch, and he had, obviously, Todd Grip. Uh, who coached with him as well and Steve McLaren which I, I thought Steve was one of the best coaches I've ever worked for on the training ground Sven, Sven was really good and it, it was obviously good for me and I, I, I spent a, a good 
two seasons with uh, Leicester as well, so it was really good. When you look back on that time with England, are, are there any stories that really stick out in your mind that you can you can share with us? Well, well obviously, when it, when you you're, you're you're new to it, you just keep your head down. And I will what I will say is that you have dinner, and the captain is the one who lets you go once you finish your food. No one's allowed to leave the table until the captain says so. Once the captain's ready to leave, then. Wow. All the, all the players allowed to go. So I thought that was re- very respectful and something I've never seen. But being with England, every, every meal the captain was the only one allowed to disperse you. And once he was ready to leave, then we was allowed to leave. So in and around everything, the, the, the captain um, was really respectful and that, yeah, he, he demanded them, them commands. Do you have to put your hand up if you need the bog? <laughs> <laughs> it was like being at school sometimes. But listen, you, You'd do anything to play for your country, so if that's what you had to do, you had to do it. Paul, you've been an absolute star. Thank you so much for joining us on the Broken Metastasso, mate. No problem. Thank you very much for your time. So there you go, Paul Koncheski giving his uh, insider knowledge there of all being sat around waiting for a certain David Beckham to say, right, you can, you can all finish your tea now and sod off. I like how that's his one spot of sort of specific memory about playing for England twice. You know, it's like the culmination of a of a dream since he's a boy and all he remembers is having to wait until Bex has finished before he can go. I like the idea A that, that Beckham introduced it himself, it was his rule. And it just a really slow eater and he used to get really angry that everyone's leaving. I'm just I'm gonna have to introduce the ruler. And he'd just purposely drag it out, you know. JT's just absolutely wolfed it down so you can stay where you are, John, because I've still got double helpings to come here. Beckham's gone Wait for oh, Beckham's gone for three courses today. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Do you reckon he still does it now at home? <laughs> no. Come on, wait. Brooklyn. <laughs> I haven't finished my toast yet. Well, I just don't get what the point is. Like, what, what, yeah, exactly. <laughs> why are you trying to create this culture of deference to one man in, in England? Maybe it's just FOMO. All the lads were going off and playing like table tennis and he didn't want to miss out. You've got to wait until I'm ready and then he runs and he gets there. Well, who's going to play me? I'm the captain. You no, it was a power trick. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, no, don't say anything <laughs> bad about David Beckham. Maybe it just didn't even matter because Bex was the quickest eater. Yeah, oh, also true. Yeah. So actually, it's, he, he says you can all go, and they're like, well, I haven't finished. Should I? Is it rude to stay and finish yeah. my rice pudding, <laughs> or do I need to leave? Because because he's like, we will never know, and that is the beauty of all these things. Uh, he did also mention, of course, and, and it's been widely spoken about, but I guess we can't talk about England and that generation of players, and and not talk about this idea of there being cliques and different players from different teams, and they're playing against each other in the Premier League Premiership at the time, and then they come together, and it just can't gel because. They don't like each other enough, which I guess was the sort of sense, wasn't there? I like the the thought that when you put a squad together, someone, Steve McLaren maybe, was, was sorting out the tables. Right, we need an eight-man table for the United <laughs> boys. Can we just get a two-seater for the Charlton lads just on the end there? It, and just everyone on their own little table. But when you think about it, it's actually, it's a bit strange that if you, if you were managing any situation, forget whether it's football or not, it's a little bit strange that you would allow cliques like that mm. to happen uh, you know I mean I, I guess there is the argument of they're all adults so let them <laughs> sit wherever they bloody want but if you're trying to create any sort of environment where you're wanting people to gel together it does seem a little bit odd to have allowed that to fester and why couldn't they have put those club rivalries aside to go like we want to win as England and I, I always remember like around this time my uh, I, I think I just went to my dad like do you think you could do like a good job as an England manager he was like absolutely I'd win us 
I'm going to ask the Euro <laughs> and then the World Cup. And his idea was basically that he would have like, he'd do that thing where you'd line everyone up and you go like, right, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, all the ones go one corner, all the twos go one corner, all the threes go. And then he'd have like little games against each other to just like create this like little team building. But then of course that would sort of make new cliques in the one, twos, threes and fours. <laughs> if he never gets the nod for the England job, and I'm not saying he won't, <laughs> my lads under sevens teams they do one two three for them and send them off to do little drills and stuff so that could that could be his calling in life I, I'm, I'm not discounting that the, the big nod will come from the FA but if it doesn't you know there how, might be an option there how does it work in the, the under sevens team is it like successful is your is your son's team doing well they're doing all right. They could they could do better. You know, I'm not I'm, I'm not gonna. Maybe there is an opening there. Maybe <laughs> maybe they need. All right, I'll get on the dad. phone to my dad after and see if he's interested. Yes, in, uh... and I'd like to apologise to the current coaches of his under seven team who are doing a sterling job and all voluntary. And I should be <laughs> <laughs> any way, shape, or form criticising people giving up their own time to look after my lad, so I don't have to worry about him for an hour on a Thursday during training. And um, l- let's move on to uh, for me. I-, I think personally the most painful of the three tournaments. Um, under Sven, which is Euro 2004 in Portugal, which starts off with England 1, France 2. Another game which was going quite well until right at the end where it doesn't go quite well and then they they concede two late goals. England and Rooney were absolutely unbelievable in that game. Even though we lost, my memory of that game is just chanting Rooney, Rooney, Rooney for 90 minutes in the pub. And I, I'm by trying his, to... By yourself again. <laughs> by myself, always by myself, yeah. People are just looking at me thinking, what, who is this? At, at least he's old enough to drink now. At least he's, he's old 18 enough to drink now. now. But I'm trying to jog my memory back and I don't think, although we knew Rooney was a phenomenal talent and the Arsenal goal happened, things like that, he'd only scored nine goals for Everton the season leading up to it. I don't think we were expecting him to be quite as good as he was. And in that France game, he absolutely ripped them to shreds. The penalty that he won was like 10 yards in his own half. He basically stopped it like a punt from, from the back going out for a throw-in on the left. He flips it over to Ram's head like Gascoigne, then just darts down the length of the pitch, like absolutely rapid, way quicker than what you remember him being, and just does Sylvester and gets bought down. He was the best player in the world at that tournament. But then he's been, like, we've been done by Zinedine Zidane. And those two goals that he scored were rockets, the the the, the free kick and, and the penalty. And I think they went in the same, exactly the same corner, mm. right? And they were just unstoppable. And it felt like like something beyond earth, like beyond this world. Like he was just this special, special talent that just could pick up this game and win it for them, despite our excellence. And then the next two games, 3-0 against Switzerland, couple for Rooney, one for Gerrard, uh, 4-2 against Croatia, another couple for, for Rooney as well. That is a point where you're like, un- unlike previous tournament and, and tournaments, that would be to come that we didn't know about that time. And you think, actually... That's a pretty good group stage. Yeah, I, th- I think this might, that might be why Euro 2004 felt different to the other ones because it was so exciting. The, the Portugal defeat is like the most England uh, <laughs> major tournament defeat ever where your best player gets injured, uh, you play brilliantly and then there's all this drama and extra time you have a goal controversially disallowed and then you lose on penalties. And that is like the ultimate heartbreak all in one. Like Usually you just get one of them maybe, but no, it's like we'll have them all in one game. <laughs> I mean, that Sol Campbell disallowed goal... Not having it. We interviewed for the site, Urs Meyer, the referee, and he still can't believe it that 
that there's any debate about it. He's just so convinced it was a clearly a foul, but I'm, I'm not having it. I think it's because it's the second time it had happened to Campbell, though, because it happened yeah. in 98, yeah. didn't it? And it's just heartbreaking for him. And I remember that. It is sad. It is sad. Yeah, it's 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 in the 90th minute as well yeah. to, to win I, it. I feel, I feel watching back these, like, I just feel genuinely gutted for the players. I mean, like, Ashley Cole was absolutely phenomenal against Cristiano Ronaldo that game. I have a really weird memory of watching this game at home, and this was like the first major tournament three where I was properly into it. And we had quite a lot you, of... You'll never guess where I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, um, we had like family and friends round to watch this game and uh, it got to extra time. And my sister was watching it upstairs with her boyfriend, which I think... Hello. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It raised a lot of suspicions. And their TV was slightly ahead of ours. So midway through extra time, England are 2-1 down. Frank Lampard scores... And us downstairs just hear my sister and my boyfriend scream, yes, <laughs> euphoric cheers. <laughs> and the picture of my dad's face at that moment will never, ever leave me, where he was sort of ready to run up the stairs and kill someone. And then he, and then he saw Lampard's going, he's like, oh no, it's okay. That's <laughs> the, the penalty shootout is predictable if somewhat, you know, devastating as well. Um, Beckham and Vassell missing. That's the one where... Um, the goalie Riccardi takes off his gloves yeah, for the last one, doesn't he? Which he just said in the end, he just he, he conceded a couple and thought, well, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. But for me, that is the most disappointing image is, is the fact that we went out and, and the goalie took his gloves off. And then he went and scored the next goal. Yeah, it, that, that for me is like, oh man, my, it just looks shit for us, doesn't it? <laughs> my abiding memory is Beckham when he misses. He does the classic thing which you do on a, sun, on a Sunday morning if you do something shit and just look at the pitch. Looks at the like, spot. That's the spot. Puts his spot. hand like, that, oh, it wasn't me. But then Rui Costa misses it and he does the exact same thing. He looks so at it as well. Maybe he's right. Uh, Postiga does this like little cheeky dink as well yeah, in that penalty shit. Those little things just really piss you off, well, don't we, they? We've done a, a, a podcast about shithouses and we said on that all the Portuguese players were shithouses and this is proof of it. The ultimate shithouser against us. I think the I think the equivalent podcast happening in Portugal right now yeah. discussing this is having a slightly different view on that. But but this is extraordinarily England of England. Yeah, I, th- I think this is the most heartbreaking one for me. I'm trying to work out because I think I think the World Cup team in 2006 was a better collection of players, albeit they played worse. Whereas this was like, I guess this is maybe how people felt in Euro '96 when it felt like no, this just feels right. And then suddenly it's just snatched away from you and it's Ronaldo and he's a Man United player and it's just all gone wrong and it's horrible. Deep breath, everybody. Um, before we mention 2006, uh, we, we, we were going to talk a little bit about Sven. I think, Mark, you were suggesting... Itching. It, it, itching. It's, <laughs> uh, itching to talk, about, to talk about Sven. It's just my abiding memory of that era is just Sven. Not Forget what was on the back page, just every single... Day, there seemed to be another story about Sven the Shagger, and I just, I just don't understand it. The glasses, the hair, brilliant. How was he doing it? He was with Na- Nancy Delolio, and obviously he had an affair with Ulrika Johnson. He was talking like six women on the go at one time. How was he doing it? Money. <laughs> well, <Fame>. he has, <laughs> yeah, he has kind of alluded to that, but he said, um, I was never unfaithful to Nancy because we were not married. That's the way I see it. But the English press don't think like that. No, nobody thinks like that. What? Is that what he actually said <laughs> yeah, about that's it? that's what he said. Yeah. Well, they could have been in a polyamorous relationship. We don't know. True. Ulrika Johnson said as well, and I don't know why you would do this when they're both Swedish, but apparently used to like to speak dirty in what she describes as broken English. He always talked dirty in this singy, songy, broken English. I tried to ignore it. When you look back at, at Sven, is it, 
a distraction, though, you know, in, in the reality of it. it. It's a distraction from what people should have been talking about, which is just the England team and the football, when, when the manager is so much has so much prominence on the front page. Maybe this is just his version of Mourinho taking the pressure off the players. If I have an affair with every woman I ever meet, <laughs> that will make enough front pages that people forget about the defeats and the bad things you're doing. He, he was clever, son. Very clever. He was really taking a hit for the team there. Yeah, he was. <laughs> I guess it comes as part of like, uh, th- this was when England were starting to become celebrities rather than just footballers. And this is a whole problem with the golden generation as well, is that they, it wasn't just about the football. It was about their wives and their girlfriends and about what they got up to in their spare time. And, and maybe, yeah, people, the the sort of cult of celebrity that surrounded it distracted players from focusing on what they needed to focus on. It's a great point. That Barden Barden was the England cap for this World Cup, wasn't it? And I was, was going to say, Wags wag takes us mental. seamlessly, seamlessly, as if that was planned, uh, <laughs> in, into to World Cup 2006 in Germany, which what that's what it that, that's what all the talk was about, wasn't it? And, and the Wags at the time were particularly high profile as well. You know, when you think about the ones that, that were out there, Posh and Cheryl and, and all this kind of stuff, that's all a real massive sideshow when you think there's a World Cup coming up that England have a really good team for and should do pretty well in. We also did the classic England trick of winning a really impressive warm-up game. So I remember the 3-2 win against Argentina. I just remember that being a really exciting, fun England performance with like two late goals. It was really dramatic. And it was like, yeah, come on, it's going to be exactly like this in the World Cup. <laughs> and then you get there and we're like really struggling to beat Trinidad and Tobago. And you think, oh, maybe this isn't going to happen again. And and even then there was more metatarsal injuries. Then I think Rooney and Owen had both uh, done their metatarsal in the season leading up to it. And there was the really, really sad sight against Sweden of, Owen when he'd done his ACL in like the first minute and literally had to crawl off the pitch but then all I remember from the group stages really is just Joe Cole's goal against Sweden yeah. right? it's like such a great England moment and this was like proper fan mania then I had the home in away shirt and I had Cole <laughs> on the back of the away shirt which he was wearing when he scored the Sweden goal and I was like yes I'm just like Joe Cole <laughs> I'm not like Joe Cole <laughs> oh mate you can have that memory don't <laughs> yeah, worry exactly. you can have, they'll never take that away from that, me. Is, that is an amazing goal of what is a, a fairly unremarkable group stage the inevitable exit for England against, once again, the rivals, the foes of Portugal. Rooney sending off, Ronaldo's wink, and more penalties. Uh, the, <sighs> I think the wink is like still one of my saddest football memories, and still really upsets me now. And I still have like a, a like a half wish that in the Euros coming up, like we'll face Portugal and. I don't know, like Raheem Sterling would do something brilliant and just go and wink in. <laughs> I would love that. I would love it so much. But he just absolutely played us there. And it's one of those things where, again, if if an England player had done it, we'd be looking back at the wink and going, oh, that's quality. <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. But it's Ronaldo. He's a little shit. I'm, oh. Watching it back this afternoon, I, I know we did the, the shit I was pod a few weeks ago I think that is like the ultimate act of absolute treachery for like a a, a club teammate and Mm -hmm. I can understand him going up to the ref and stuff maybe in the heat of the battle and it's like you know I'm Portuguese I'm playing for my country I want to win but before that I don't know if it's before the game just before the game kicks off he goes up behind Rooney and sort of nuts him in the back of the head (laughs) he sort of nudges him and Rooney looks round and he's sort of laughing and joking with him but Ronaldo's deadly serious and you see Rooney turn back like oh wait that's a bit 
God. And it's like they're trying to do it from the start. It's just such shit artery. There's a, there's a great bit of the uh, the BBC coverage on that because Ian Wright's one of the pundits on it where they're showing it back during the half-time highlights and they're looking back at it. And they're looking firstly at, at Rooney, whether it should have been a sending off or not. And initially, it's just like, he's just tussling with the two players. And then when you get the second look at it, you see that he's also sort of stamped him in, in the, the you-know-whats. And it is a red card. And then there's this other bit. So they're looking at it like, that's not a red card. And the, yeah, that is a red card. And then there's another bit where... They then get the shot, and I think it's the first time that they've seen it of yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo walking away, and he does the wink. And Ian Wright, just his natural reaction, like, did he just wink then? <laughs> that is his natural reaction to it, which was everyone's when they saw it. He just kind of summed it up absolutely perfectly because it was that, like you say, it was that act of, oh shit, that's really and you, vindictive. And you see Rooney's face yeah. when he realizes what Ronaldo's doing, and just it like dawns on him. It's it's mad. But I love Shearer's reaction as well, where he's like, if I was Ian Rooney, I'd be going back to Man United training and sticking one on Cristiano Ronaldo. But like, they they had like one of the best seasons together, yeah. the season following that. I just don't understand it because like I'm still like, angry and upset about it now. Like. <laughs> Rooney was the one that it actually happened to. I don't know how he got over that. And we always sort of um, go on about Rooney's temperament, but good on him for rising above that and uh, having that, that incredible period with Manchester United. You don't think Rooney's at home now thinking, I hope in the upcoming Euros, Raheem Sterling does something. <laughs> and then winks in Ronaldo's face. I can't stop thinking about that. That would be sensational. Be great, I, I didn't really care about the winks. I think that stuff happens all the time that just gets caught on camera and Rooney wouldn't give a shit. Actually, we should be thanking him because it just gives us something to cling on to, to get angry about. And instead of having a go at Rooney, like, he winked. He did what? <laughs> That's worse than spitting. I'd rather have both my legs broken than him wink. Um, we, we have to mention the penalties. Any team that only has to score three penalties to win a penalty shootout, the other team is really not deserving of going through in any way, shape or form. To score one penalty in a penalty shootout it, is pathetic. It's, um, it's very England for us to be down to 10 men and save a substitution back until the 119th minute, bring Jamie Carragher on to take a penalty yeah. and then him miss. But like the, the only England player that scored in the show was Owen Hargreaves. And that was like the overlooked storyline because he was so good in that game, Hargreaves. And England fans had actually booed him prior to that tournament. He came off the bench in the warm-up game against Hungary and got booed on. But isn't that because he's of the German allegiances? Well, yeah. I mean, he's, I think he was just a bit of an odd player because he's like Canadian-born Welsh mother, plays in Germany represents England no one really seen him play and it's like everyone Dif lo different times, everyone loved they? everyone loved uh, Gerard and Lampard but it just didn't work and then in that game because Owen was injured we played with a five-man midfield and finally found a system that worked and Hargreaves is phenomenal and then it's like the, the tragedy of England is that we got on penalties and Hargreaves is like forever injured so we never even really see him do it again it's just typical isn't it very sort of England fan as well to like be very sceptical about something unless they're good Oh, they're, they're quite yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally yeah, we like changed him my opinion <laughs> yeah. now because he's actually quite good. Look, before we go on to football facts or, or football fiction, um, your overriding memories or feelings towards the golden generation of, of England, Chloe? Um, disappointment and sadness. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been so much more. But it would have just been so good if there was someone that was a decent man manager that should could have just come in and gone, I'm sorry, like, Lamps, I've got to drop you because it's not working. If someone had just put together a team rather than a bunch of individuals, turned it into this cohesive unit where everyone wanted to play together and for each other, it could have been so good. We missed out on something there. That feels like the rallying call that Gareth Southgate said he never got from <laughs> yeah. Sven Goran Eriksson. That's what that felt like to me. That was a beautiful moment. Thank you. Uh, Rob, anything uh, for, for you, your overriding thoughts? 
I mean, these are my formative years as a football fan, so I'll always have how I felt in the summer of 2004. <laughs> and I think even like I generally for like 23 months out of 24 will have be completely indifferent to England. But then when a major tournament comes around, there's always that little part of me that just can't help but get carried away. For me, Euro 2004 was my best summer as an England fan until probably 2018. I love thinking back to the players. I know we didn't win anything, but that France game will always stick in my mind. Rooney just being the best player in the world, it seemed. Sven up to all sorts, the fake chic, the wags, everything. It was just a great time to be alive. Love it. Right, let's get on to a bit of a football fact or football fiction. So here's how it works. If you are new to the podcast, uh, Mark, Chloe and Rob all have a statement uh, around today's theme, which of course is England's golden generation. Uh, only one of these statements is a fact. The other two are totally made up. They are fiction. My job and your job is to work out the fact from the fiction. So we will start, as always, with Mark. So you may remember at the 2002 World Cup, a story come out about Ronaldinho described him as being like a pneumatic drill in the bedroom. <laughs> After that, Ulrika Johnson said that Sven was like a handheld drill. She was inspired by... It was, yeah, it was as a, a, a direct response yeah. to that. It was a <laughs> serialisation of, of her and that's been said. And not a never, great... Never mind. No, not a great not review. Not a great review. Uh, Rob? Uh, moving on from that. <laughs> Please do, uh, quickly. In, into more of the post-Sven Sven era with Fabio Capello. David Bentley and Jimmy Bullard were obsessed with their idea that Capello looked like Postman Pat when they were briefly in the England squad. This might explain why it was only briefly. Because <laughs> uh, whenever he would walk by, they would sing the uh, Postman <laughs> Pat theme tune. Two things on that. Firstly, when we um, decided to do an England Golden Generation podcast, I didn't think the words David Bentley and <laughs> Jimmy Bullard were going to get Who a knows? mention. But it might I, have been that, what we always needed. That's where it ended up. I can see two things I can see. Firstly, he does look yeah. like Postman mm-hmm. Pat. That's the first thing. And secondly, I can see them doing that. Yeah. But David Bentley was the one who chucked all the, the ice and stuff over uh, Harry yeah, Redknapp. So, you know, it, uh, you know, Jimmy Bullard, we know what he's like. So I can totally see that. Yeah. And I don't, I'd, he, I don't, I don't know if this Postman Pat in, in, Ital- in Italy. So I don't know if he you'd have got the reference Probably a anyway. different theme tune. They, yeah, maybe. So whilst I, I can see that and I want to see that, I don't want to see what Mark said or <laughs> think about what Mark said. But Chloe, what have you got? After being fired by England, Steve McLaren was named the Wally with the Broly. Uh, fact. Fact. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. <laughs> Thank you. Then, uh, after being sacked by Wolfsburg, the German press nicknamed, nicknamed him the Twat in the Hat. Twat <laughs> in the Hat. <laughs> is that it, it, what's the direct translation of that though well I think they would be sort of aping uh, yeah. u- using English because he's an Englishman so was that, was that to cover up his hair island just yeah, to, his <laughs> lovely hair island <laughs> okay <laughs> so I can see in hindsight now this is kind of England manager theme really Penny's dropped. Which I've just... All right. (laughs) You had it in front of you, mate. I didn't know until now. The penny has dropped indeed. Can you give us any more information uh, on uh, what Ulrika said other than the handheld drill? Yes, you can. can. I absolutely can. (laughs) Look at that grin on your face. Well, this week I have. One uh, of my favourite topics. (laughs) So I've told you a little bit. Um, He had all this power and money, yet he was the weakest man I've ever met. Sex with Sven was as ordered and functional as an IQ instruction manual. Putting together a Billy bookcase would have probably left me more satisfied. And I think that's then what's led her into then she says screwdrivers. That. Never mind the new matter drill, it was like I'm held. Now, that that quote you just read out, I have a memory of that quote, but I don't have a memory of the, the handheld drill bit. So I'm going to dismiss that. Why are you smiling at me? Why you... It's part of it, isn't it? Oh, man. Unagi. Mind games killing me here. <laughs> Chloe's twat in the hat. Um, that's also a sentence I didn't think I was going to say today. Um, 
<laughs> so um, I, I just I, I don't know whether we, would they go for a direct sort of translation now I'm not sure with it being I think in Germany I'm not, I don't know so I think he like persuade his last, me his last game for Wolfsburg he was wearing this horrible little like it wasn't even a beanie it was kind of like snood material just on his head <laughs> and um, it was raining and he just looked like this sort of uh, despondent, lonely figure, and I think they just thought it would be funny to sort of do a shit rhyme. There's I'm... definitely history of the German media doing that as well, aping English headlines. Which what, which team are you on here? Is it your fan? I'm just, well, you've dismissed me. Okay, so. oh, that's true. Um, I've got an image of the way you've described that of him wearing like a. Uh, it looks almost like a comedy toupee <laughs> <laughs> on his head. That's the image I've got. And the postman Pat one. When would they do this? Every time they saw him, they would go past and they start humming it or singing it. It or? was it was more at, at dinner time. So obviously. Bullard and Bentley were like the pranksters and they wanted to get team morale up. So whenever he walked past it, didn't he? was like, oh, come on, lads, let's join in. And everyone was like, no, lads, it's the gaffer. And they're all quite scared of Capello. And that's probably why the other players stayed in the squad and Bentley and Bullard <laughs> I was going to say, because they, they talked quite a bit about um, Capello being very regimented yeah. and kind of strict and you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him. But they didn't, they didn't give a shit, did they? And that's why they won. Well, I don't think Bullard did get a cup for England in the end. <laughs> very much against my better judgment, I am going to say that... Bullard and Bentley sang the Postman Pat theme when they saw Capello. For once, Rich, you are right. Yes! Finally, <laughs> he's done oh, it. Oh, this is a this is genuinely a great moment. England didn't <laughs> win. For me, for no one else. Well, yes, perfect. Give it the wink. Give this it the is, wink. <laughs> <laughs> this is the end that the golden generation deserved, yeah. but but never got uh, right. Fant- uh, that, and that was it. And did he ever know? Did he ever catch on about that? Do we know? Or I'm not too sure to be honest. I'd probably matter. still. They'd probably still sing it now. Yeah. I've oh. uh, I've heard Crouchy speaking about it and saying that it was quite widely. Um, widely adopted. used it was widely adopted but no one was stupid enough to say it in front of him uh, apart from Bentley and Bullard <laughs> which which doesn't it's not, surprise it's anyone not that bad though is it to be to look like Postman Pat there's worse people you could look like no but it's singing Fine it in front of singing it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Mr Blobby is it <laughs> <laughs> this episode was brought to you by our friends at Football Index the football stock market where you can buy and sell players for real money sign up today at footballindex.co.uk and use the code TBMINDEX to trade with a £500 money-back guarantee. New customers only, 18+. plus. I am glad that the Golden Generation podcast ended up on a positive note there because we were worried at one point. And thank you for joining us. Mark, thank you very much. Thank you. Rob. Cheers. And Chloe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, that you're the only person guest who's ever said that. So we, <laughs> we genuinely appreciate that. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Broken Metatarsal. <laughs>